0: Praise God. Jesus is alive. Uh, We serve a risen Savior. Welcome to South Oaks Church today. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Happy Easter or happy Resurrection Day. Uh, Today is a day that we look back and we remember, isn't it? It's also a day that we're reminded of the hope that we have today in Jesus Christ. As we look to an uncertain future, as you look at the world around you, there's uh, trouble and distress in the world today. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have so much to be thankful for. Uh, Many of us would say, you know, life's kind of difficult today. Uh, There's suffering all around us. There's a lot to be fearful of. Uh, It doesn't seem that life is what we hoped it would be or what we currently hope it would be, right? So I have a question for you. You guys know about these group questions. (laughs) What do people hope for in life? To be happy, to have a lot of money, have peace, stay healthy, yeah, lots of things people hope for, uh, including that there's no trouble, right? (laughs) So today as we look at the empty tomb, uh, Jesus is risen, and see what that speaks to each of us. 2,000 years ago, the disciples of Jesus, when he died, they thought all that they were hoping for was lost. And after Jesus was arrested, there was a mock trial that was held by the religious elite who thought they were supposed to be in control, and, and they condemned him to death. He was turned over then to the Romans because only the Romans were the ones who could actually carry out the execution because uh, Israel at that time was under the uh, hand of Rome. And under the Romans, he was beaten and tortured. Mark 5:16 to 15 says, Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime is he committed, said Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Even after the Roman governor, Pilate, found no fault in Jesus, meaning he found no reason he could go and send him to be crucified, he was no, had no guilt that deserved death. This bloodthirsty mob of people who had just earlier that week, a uh, week ago, welcomed him into Jerusalem, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now they're yelling, Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate, not wanting there to be any trouble, gave in to their plea. Mark 15:25 to 30 says, It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross now and save yourself. Jesus was nailed to this Roman cross, and it was the most humiliating and terrible form of death at the time, reserved for criminals and those guilty of treason. The nail you received when you came in today You got that nail. If you didn't get one, it's in the back table, in the bowl. Uh, It shows a miniature version of two nails, like what was hammered into the hands and feet of Jesus. So the actual nails were not that size. Those are pretty little, right? You could, like, poke one in and not get too seriously injured. But those nails that actually nailed him to the cross, you know, were like this. They were big, big, huge, thick nails hammering him to the cross, and the disciples saw their promised Messiah die a painful death on the cross. Luke 23:44 to 46 says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. It was hard, almost unimaginable for those disciples who had given up everything to follow Jesus Christ and followed him through the countryside as he preached and taught and healed. And at that moment, their hope seemed destroyed. Matthew 25 57 to 61, as the evening approached, There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Today, when we read that story, you know, it's almost difficult for us, almost impossible for us to really understand the, the depth of the loss that those original disciples felt. I mean, everything that they had been doing for the last three years and the person that they had uh, followed for that time that they had surrendered their lives and livelihood to and thought that he was the, the Messiah, the Son of God. And here, all of a sudden, he's gone, it seems, and in the middle of this grief and loss is the account of Easter morning. And the first light of hope is revealed. Luke twenty three fifty five, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and saw how his body was laid in it. They went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what had happened? So, another group question, what do you think it would be like to arrive at the tomb that morning? What would that have been like if you were in that group of women or along with the disciples as they went. Wondering if they stole a body. It would be confusing. Heartbroken. You would be amazed, right? What if you saw those angels there? I mean, that would be almost scary, right? (laughs) So just imagine that amazement and that astonishment that these people went through. I mean, the last thing they saw on Friday was that Jesus' body is laid in this tomb. They go home and prepare the spices and ointment for the rest of the burial because there wasn't time to do that, so they had to come back. It was the Friday, but Sunday was coming. They rested on the Sabbath, the day in between, it tells them, which must have been the saddest, most miserable Sabbath day ever observed. Because everything seemed lost. And then the next day, they will go to the tomb to prepare the body the rest of the way for burial, for final burial. And as they're on their way, you know, they have all these good intentions to go. And as they're on the way, they're thinking, you know, are, are we going to be able to move that stone? It's more than just the three women. It said there were others with them. But, I mean, are they going to be able to move that stone? They're, they're kind of wondering, you know, maybe, maybe we're going to have to go back and get somebody. But to their surprise... The tomb was open, and Jesus wasn't there. So instead, they're met by these two men in gleaming clothes who said, why do you look, Luke 24, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And then they tell him, What Jesus had said earlier, and they remind him of the things Jesus uh, had said about how he would be delivered into the hands of sinners and be crucified. But on the third day, he would be raised again. So what were these angels referring to? In Luke 9, 22, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. So that's the head of the Israel Uh, Israelite uh, nation right these are all the most important people and he's saying these guys are going to turn me over to be killed but listen there's hope on the third day I'll be raised again Jesus told the disciples exactly what needed to be uh, happening but it was only in looking back and remembering that they could begin to understand what that empty tomb meant what was significant about that And right in front of them, as they looked at it, they looked back and the truth became clear. So as we look back to that day of Jesus' resurrection, how can Easter be meaningful for us today? And how can it mean freedom for you today? First, we need to understand the hope of the empty tomb. And that's on Easter Sunday, we have that reminder every year. And we also have a reminder... Any time we read through that account in the gospel, but especially Easter reminds us that Jesus really is alive and well. And as we celebrate that again and year after year, looking back to the empty tomb, we remember that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said he would do. The empty tomb is full of hope for us, especially for those who believe. And in looking back in the Bible, in God's word, the truth is made clear. Just like Peter, the disciple, on Easter morning, we can go running to the tomb each year, you know, not not literally, but figuratively, to see the truth again. There is no body in that tomb. The tomb is empty. He is risen, just as he said. And we can be reminded of what the empty tomb is means by what the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15:16 through 19. He said, "For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied." See, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if the tomb wasn't actually empty, then we who think it was are like the saddest group of people ever. Uh, everything we preach, all of our efforts to share the message of the gospel, every church program, every ministry, every time you tell people about your hope in Christ, it would all be useless if the resurrection were not true. But the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the evidence of the empty tomb if you want to prove that Christianity is false all you have to do is come up with a body however over the last 2,000 years no one has found the body of Jesus right <laughs> there isn't one he was raised from the dead and the tomb is empty and after the resurrection There were soldiers out there guarding that tomb, remember? And an earthquake happened. They all kind of fell over and fainted. And they knew there was nobody in the tomb. So they're like, ooh, we got a problem. So Matthew 28, 11 to 15, while the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They paid him off, telling him, you're to say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Don't worry about it. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and the story's been widely circulated among the Jews to the day of the writing. Okay, obviously they're probably not still out there saying that, right? (laughs) So anyway, um, when they wrote the gospel, They let us know what happened. Now here is the interesting thing. The priests and the elders who were behind the crucifixion of Jesus, they had made sure he got crucified on that cross. Now they come up with a new plan to circulate this story through the soldiers that the body was missing because somebody came and stole it. Okay, there's so many problems with this story that they were supposed to tell Let's go through what those are. The first is, in that time, if a soldier was caught sleeping on the job or he was derelict in his duties, if he failed to do what he was ordered to do, the punishment was death. These guys got some money and had to run around and tell a fake story. So you see the conflict there, right? So the Romans also hated uh, disorder and chaos in their territories. And they had the power to reach out and root out this lie and dissension. And they would have easily been able to find the body of Jesus and put an end to the advancement of Christianity. If the soldiers stole the body and were circulating that Jesus had risen from the dead, they could have easily stopped that and said, listen, here's the body. Okay, they never did that because there wasn't a body. And the last thing that the chief priests, elders, and Pharisees needed was the unnecessary attention Of all that disorder and this disruption of this new thing all they had to do to end the rise of the Christian faith was to present the body of Jesus and say here's the proof here's the body and everything would go back to normal so none of these powerful groups were able to put an end to Christianity it was called the way back then they they couldn't stop the way because that was the truth and chaos And disorder only escalated as this thing, uh, this new faith in Jesus Christ escalated and gained momentum. That's because the truth is, Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty, Jesus is risen. So, first, as I said, for freedom, we need to understand the hope of the empty tomb. And the second thing is to let the truth of Jesus' resurrection set you free. The truth of the resurrection sets us free. Truth is powerful. And imagine that you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon for a moment, okay? Let's say you don't believe in gravity. I don't know who that is, but just let's pretend we do, okay? Uh, Let's say you don't believe in gravity, and just like anyone who doesn't believe in gravity, you decide to take a step off the edge and just walk across that big open chasm. Right? Okay. What would happen if you did that? You'd die. You will experience gravity. That's right. Okay. And would your lack of belief in gravity save you from the reality of gravity? Why not? It's there whether you believe it or not. And in a similar way, What you believe to be true of Jesus doesn't actually change who Jesus is. To say it more plainly, Jesus either is who he says he is or he is not. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What Lewis is saying here is that your belief about Jesus Christ doesn't change who he actually is. If he's not who he claimed to be, he would be considered a lunatic for saying he's the son of God. And he would be killed. To say that he would be raised, after he'd be killed, raised to life again, that would be nuts if he wasn't the son of God. For us today who do believe, though, Easter is a time we remember that Jesus actually did what he said he would do. Jesus died and rose again, just as he said, and the empty tomb is the most powerful reality of the resurrection. The empty tomb is full of hope for those who believe, and the truth of that can set us free. The reason it sets us free is when Jesus rose from the dead, he triumphed over death and hell. And we have freedom from sin and its power in our life because of that, because of his death and resurrection. The third thing we wanna do to experience that freedom that we have is to make it personal. The hope of the empty tomb and the truth of the resurrection that can set you free from sin and its power can only happen when you make it personal. Just knowing about it and not accepting it for yourself won't save you, won't set you free. We need to ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives. Accept what he's done for us on the cross. Where he paid the penalty, and that means he paid the price. There's a penalty for sin, and he paid it for you and for me. And we can receive that forgiveness and salvation for ourselves. When we were praying yesterday in our prayer group, one of the things that kept coming out that we felt God was putting on our heart is that we need to keep it simple. Because the gospel is really not a difficult thing to understand when it comes to salvation. God made it so plain that even children can come to know him. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's all that we have to do. We have to just, in our hearts, ask God. Receive him as our Savior. Receive what Jesus Christ did for us. Make it personal. And then profess that we've done that. Profess to others, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't think there's a person in life who wouldn't want a do-over where they could have a brand new start. All our failures, our problems, our bad decisions, mistakes, along with all the things that have hindered us, any painful memories, any brokenness that we've experienced. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is about having these things forgiven, healed, and done away with. We are set free in Jesus Christ. Colossians two thirteen and 14 said, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your faith, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What that means is that all the sin that we've all committed, everyone committed, you, me, he's taken that and he's nailed it to the cross and saying, I died for this. I'm paying the price for your sin. I'm paying that penalty. In the Phillips translation, it says, he has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of, Of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross Jesus paid that full penalty for our sins when he became that perfect sinless sacrifice on the cross and by his death he accomplished what God had planned from the beginning when he said it is finished As he died on the cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. So what does it is finished mean for us today? What do you think? The price has been paid. we can't earn the salvation it's already been paid for already been bought by Jesus all we can do is receive it yeah it's finished yeah the work of salvation was finished on the cross which means it's not about a checklist you and I keep each day trying to earn some place with God trying to earn some salvation It's about us receiving that gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, receiving what God did for us by sending his son to die on that cross and opening our heart and saying, Lord, I want that. I want a relationship with you. Thank you that you died for my sin and paid that price. What Jesus meant by those words was that his task, his job, and God's purpose were completed and fulfilled and that was to draw us close to God, to give us a way to come to God. So when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts and ask him to be our Savior and Lord, we can have the same assurance that the Apostle Paul had in Romans 8:1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free From the law of sin and death no condemnation means you're not condemned to walk in your sin to live in pain or in bondage no condemnation means that Jesus took your pain your loss on himself so you can walk in freedom if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ I'd like to invite you to do just that today. If you're walking in bondage to things that Jesus died to set you free from, I invite you to turn that over to Jesus and ask him to help you experience that freedom to restore your hope. Would you stand? As we close, I just ask everyone just to bow your heads and just have kind of a private moment here between you and God. If you'd like to experience the hope and the truth of the resurrection today, and you'd like to make it personal by accepting Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, and to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to have eternal life, just raise your hand. Thank you. If you've been living as though the past was still hanging over your head, living in bondage to the things of your past, and you want to live in the freedom that Jesus' death and resurrection provides for you, if you would like to surrender all that to Jesus today and to live in hope again, raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you that the truth of the resurrection That the evidence that you not only died for our sins on that cross, but you were raised from the dead. Lord, we thank you that that shows the power that you have, Lord Jesus, over sin and death, over pain, over loss, over all of the things we struggle with, Lord God. When we surrender our lives to you, when we accept what you have for us, Lord God, we can walk in that freedom Lord God, I pray that as we surrender our lives and our hearts to you, Father, that the the power of sin would be broken over our lives, that we would be able to walk in that freedom, walk in that truth that you have for us in your word. Father, I pray that we would not surrender to the lies of the enemy, that we have got to somehow earn it. Lord, that our motivation for living righteous lives would be to honor and glorify you, not because we're earning something more. uh, For salvation because Lord you said it's finished but because we want to glorify you as you are in us father we thank you that when we come to you Lord that we can receive all the blessings that you have for us including Lord the fact that we do not have to have junk of the enemy over our heads the things of our past don't have to rule our lives Lord we surrender pain loss defeat sin to you today Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your death on the cross paid for all of that, and we don't have to live in it. We surrender it all to you, Lord God, and we ask instead, Father, that you fill us up with the Holy Spirit to overflowing so we can follow you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that we are in Christ when we follow you. And that that means, Lord, that we have all those blessings that you've said in your word for us lord god we thank you that we can walk lives in freedom and in hope father i pray you'd restore hope to people who have been looking at the stuff in the world around them father as we fix our eyes on jesus christ i pray that we would have your hope your peace your mercy in our lives lord god we thank you jesus we praise you that the tomb is empty and that you are risen, our risen Savior and Lord. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.